favorite things growing up was growing up in a really large family. Uh, my immediate family wasn't that big. It was my sister and my mom and dad. There were only four of us. But if you extend out a level to my extended family, my dad was one of nine. This was back in the day when I guess everybody went to bed early. Uh, but he was one of nine. Hang on. My mom is one of 12. All natural birth through my grandmother. Uh, but uh, as a result of that, Massive, large families, especially when we would gather together at things like Christmas and Thanksgiving. On my mother's side, at any given time, there would be upwards of 75 people that would come for Thanksgiving dinner. I had 28 cousins as a teenager. Uh, I had cousins that were a little older than me. I had cousins that were younger than me. And grandmother's place, my grandparents' place, was always this gathering spot. And what you need to know is this. My grandparents didn't live in a really large house. In fact, it was way too small for the gatherings that would meet there. My grandparents' house, we looked it up on Zillow this week. My grandparents' house was 1,400 square feet on the top with a basement. That was it. So you go, how in the world did we fit 75 people, or where did we fit 75 people that would come and go on Thanksgiving Day in this little bitty house? And the, the answer is anywhere and everywhere. And so my grandmother had all sorts of tables that she kept in a closet, and so we had a kitchen table that was kind of off to the dining room. It wasn't even really a dining room. It was more like an extended little kitchen area that you could seat six or eight people, and then there was a, a table downstairs in the basement, and those two tables were kind of permanent fixtures, and then everything else was folding tables. She had card tables, fold tables, and so on, on Thanksgiving Day, we had tables upstairs, we had tables downstairs, we had tables in every single room, dining room, living room, the little den that was downstairs. We even had tables in the quilting room, and my grandmother quilted, and so it was this big frame that would hang from the ceiling, and she could roll it up and pin it against the ceiling, and we'd put tables under there, and if there was a couch, we'd throw a table around it, and so everybody in the house would sit around a table for Thanksgiving meal. And there were two things that were really, really important to my grandmother. Number one, she wanted to make sure that everyone had enough. She wanted to make sure that everyone had more than enough. She wanted to make sure that everyone had all they wanted to eat. And so that process would start the day before. My grandmother would, with, with my mom and her sisters would just spend all this time preparing dumplings and turkeys and, and all sorts of things to make sure that at that moment on the next day that everyone had everything they needed. And the second thing that was really important to my grandmother was making sure that everyone had a table to sit at somewhere with someone, that no one had to eat alone that no one had to eat standing up or no one had to eat feeling isolated from what was going on. And while there wasn't a table that was big enough to fit 75 people around, she wanted to make sure that there were enough tables for everyone to sit around with someone. And I look back on that this week as I was kind of prepping for this, and I realized I had no idea at that time the impact that this would have on me as I have grown into adulthood. And I had no idea of the impact that this would have spiritually, that this Thanksgiving meal and the way that my grandmother took care of everybody, I had no idea of the foreshadowing was to come around these tables. Today we're going to talk about communion because communion is important because meals are important. Meals are important and everyone having a place at the table 
is even more important. All throughout Scripture we see this. All throughout the Bible we see these, these really significant moments in life that are being shared by people. We see them around meals. And you go, really? Meals? Like food? I mean, in, in the world we live in, we, we reach out of a window to grab a bag that is also being extended out of a window, unless you go to Chick-fil-A. Anybody been to the new Chick-fil-A in Rivergate, by the way? They don't have a new window, like a drive through window. Anybody been there? They have a drive through door now. Like, they can walk out and bring it right to your car. It's really cool. Anyway, that's a side note. But that's what we think of a lot of times. That meals are just something you just kind of get through, Right? Now, throughout Scripture, meals were important, and it was a necessary part of life, yes, to live, but it was even a bigger part of social life. That, that from a social standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, from a relational standpoint, and even from a spiritual standpoint, meals mattered. That these moments that people would gather around tables had great significance. And, and God would meet people in these meals. And community was gathered and community was, was not just uh, confirmed, but community was, was encouraged. Community was built up. All of these things were found in the midst of the table. So let me just give you a few. We don't have time to rewind. I told you last week when we talked about baptism, this is not a comprehensive. It's just kind of a snapshot to give you a little insight on why we do some of the things. So let me just give you a little bit of background. All throughout the Bible, you had several different kinds of meals. For an example, you had what was known as common meals. But even in the common meals, these daily meals, no, no significance as far as a ceremony. It was just a common meal. It was lunch or it was dinner. But even in those moments, these daily meals, who you ate with mattered. The setting mattered. The host preparing the setting mattered. The host and who he would invite was significant. The host would invite people that meant something to him. These were friends. These were family. And so when you caught people in the midst of a common meal reclined at the table that we're going to see later, this was even significant even in and of itself that who had been invited had been invited to personal space. We still do this, don't we? Anybody go over to Opry Mills to the food court and just pull up a seat with a stranger lately? Try it and see what happens. Why? Because the table is personal space. And so as you begin to scan the crowd, you'll see people sitting in their personal spaces at their tables. And in those tables, you're going to see interaction. You're going to see laughter. You're going to see negotiation. If you're at the mall, the kid's trying to talk to mom, like, hey, I really need that pair of shoes. You're going to see these things in the midst of a common meal. But that space is still kind of sacred space. And so even in the common meals, who you ate with mattered. Then you had these meals that were called covenant meals. And so that word covenant simply means that there had been an agreement of some sort. That there was a bond that had been created and now there was going to be a meal that would either signal the, the, the kind of bonding or it would celebrate the agreement that was just made. It was a covenant and so either the covenant would be signed at the table or agreed upon at the table or it had already and they would join together and let's celebrate this agreement that we've made. Now, like common meals, these embodied relationship, but it went a step farther. It also was rooted in initiative toward one another. Let me give you an example of this, one that you probably haven't thought about. 
Lori and I got to go to a wedding last night. We love weddings, by the way. And we love weddings because there's always wedding cake. But you know that wedding cake, that's a covenant meal. You go, no, it's not. It's, it's red velvet. No, it's a covenant meal. It's that moment that the, the husband and wife will gather and do what? Well, you go, it makes for a great Instagram picture because they smush the cake in each other's face. No, it's, it's a covenant meal because what it's saying is that I will provide for you and I will be a part of feeding you based on what? The covenant we've just made and you will be a part of providing and feeding me. See, that wedding cake is not just the make for a funny picture. That wedding cake is the celebration. It's symbolic of what just took place, the vows, the covenant, the agreement. So it was celebrating commitment to one another, or it might be celebrating a commitment that was made about some issue or something that was to be agreed upon. And here's what's really cool about covenant meals. They're not just shared between humanity. They're not just shared between two people. That God is in the midst of these covenant meals. That God participated in these covenant meals. We see this with Abraham in Genesis 15. That God is in the midst hosting this table, this covenant that has just been made. This agreement that has just been made. When it came time to rebuild the temple in 2 Chronicles, God was in the midst of a covenant meal that was all about the rededication of the temple. In Nehemiah, when he's rebuilding the wall, Guess what? They have an agreement. They make a bond. They make this covenant. And there is a covenant meal there to celebrate and signify these things. It was a two-way street that I'm going to covenant you and you're going to covenant me, but also that God is in the midst of that, that God and humanity, and it was a celebration of that commitment. And you see these all throughout Scripture. Then you have sacrificial meals. These were meals and places that were these moments where gifts would be offered to God. There was an offering that would be brought. And the goal was to experience and to kind of remove barriers with these sacrifices, with these offerings. It would remove barriers so that I could experience more of the presence of God, that I could have complete communion and unity with God. It was this moment where I would opt for something in order to draw near to a deserving and holy God. And in order for certain times and under certain circumstances, an offering would need to be made. We see this in sin offerings. It's that moment where I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge that my sin has separated me from God. This is old covenant. We see this a lot in the Old Testament. And so they would bring an offering they would bring the best lamb, they would bring first fruits, they would bring first grains, they would bring whatever it is that was most significant in their life, and they would say, you know what, God, I'm going to bring the first parts of that, and I'm going to offer that up in order to receive atonement, in order to receive forgiveness for my sin. And so you had sin offerings, sacrificial meals. You had burnt offerings. And these were just offerings that would be made in order to represent dedication. That God, I'm dedicating my family. I'm dedicating myself. I'm dedicating my job. I'm dedicating my harvest. I'm dedicating, rededicating. I'm renewing in these moments. And so I'm offering you this as a, as a display, as a moment of my dedication in these burnt offerings. And then you had fellowship offerings, again, where something was offered. 
And a, a fellowship offering was all about this expression of joy and celebration and peace that was found in connection with God. And get this, they were also known as thanksgiving meals. And we thought the pilgrims came up with that. No, they were these moments where it was interactive And everyone engaged in joy and celebration of their community with each other and in their community shared by God. So there you have it. Meals have always been and should always be a big deal. And in the fast food world where the lady at Chick-fil-A steps out of a window and directly to my truck and there's no contact, there's there's a my pleasure moment and that's it, I wonder if we've lost sight of that, if we've lost the significance of this. So, it should really come as no surprise that Jesus works meals into his ministry. The meal that we're going to look at that really kind of sets the stage for the meal that we take every week that we call communion should come as no surprise. So Jesus has gathered in his disciples this kind of close band of followers that he's about to put a lot of responsibility on. He says, hey, you're about to go and you're going to launch this movement. You're going to spearhead a movement called church, but first, let's have a meal. Let's share a meal. And so he, he takes time to spend time around a table with these guys. Now, the table they're setting at had great significance, but he's going to take the table that had great significance and he's going to give it greater significance. He's going to use this moment to serve as a prep for the tables that you and I set around. It's a table that would, would be a place for all to set for all of time. So in Luke 22, and you can find this in a couple other places, Matthew talks about this, Mark talks about this, but I want to go to Luke because I think Luke really captures the real essence of meal. If you don't know, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote Acts. And if you look at at, at the the, the entire body of his writing, you realize this, that one-fifth, 20%, Of all the sentences that he pens and writes in the the narrative and in the recalling of the early church, one-fifth of them, meal, plays a role. And so Luke says, meal, these moments around tables, matter. They are major factors in the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus, but also in the life of Jesus' followers, in the ministry of Jesus' followers. It's not just in the moment in Acts, in Luke 22. It's this moment being set up by all the other little moments. He's been shaping this moment, his entire ministry. So here's what's going on. Luke 22, starting in verse 7. I'm going to put it on the screen. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. So they're going to partake in what is known as a Passover meal. Real brief explanation. We could spend a series on this. But way back in Exodus when God provided rescue. They were enslaved, God provides rescue, and one of the signifiers during that time, during that rescue mission was this, is that the believers, the children of Israel, were to take a lamb and to slaughter that and take some of the blood of the lamb, and they would put that on their doorpost. And it was a signifier that as God's spirit would come through, he would pass over 
the doors of the believers and on to the next. And it was a sig- it signified that they had been redeemed, that they had been rescued, they were safe. And so for years now, generations now, they would recall that moment, they would celebrate that moment. It was a covenant meal. Because there was a covenant made by putting that blood on the doorpost. And so they would continue to celebrate this covenant meal with the Passover. So he has got his disciples together and they're doing something very, very familiar. They are participating in this Passover meal. But here's what he does. He's going to use this Passover meal to point them to the fulfillment of the sacrifice that is about to come. So here's what happens. If you read the rest of the story that we don't have time to go into this morning as far as reading the text... Jesus becomes the once and for all sacrificed, sacrificial Passover lamb. And so it's, it's as if in this moment he's setting up moments to come where he says, listen, I'm about to become the once and for all Passover. So guess what? You're not going to smear blood on your doorpost anymore. No, you're going to have this moment where you have given your life. It's almost like the doorpost of your heart is going to be painted. And so he sets this meal up saying, hey, I want you to know that there is another table coming. There's going to be another meal to be celebrated, and it's all pointing to a larger purpose in their life. It's going to be a moment where everyone is welcome. See, not everyone would have been welcome around the Passover table. But he says the Passover table to come, the communion table to come, the covenant meal to come, everyone is going to be welcome. For the rest of time, for all of time, it's a meal that I'm going to establish. I'm going to set up so that we can forever celebrate the Passover. And so here's what happens during the meal. Look at verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And I want you to notice something. They're sharing a common meal, but they're also sharing a covenant meal. This is a very intimate space. This is a space that has been shared, but it is also a space that has provided comfort. It it has provided relaxation. It has provided joy. It has provided all the things. They're kind of kicked back. They're kind of just cut loose at this point. And here's what he says. He says, so he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So again, he's pointing to the suffering that is to come. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. He's saying, this is going to be the last one for me. And we know the cross is coming. We know that resurrection comes after that. And so here's what he does. He says, after he took the cup, he gave thanks. And he said, take this and divide it among you. He says, this is not to be shared in isolation. This is not a one time. And this is not a solo meal. Take it and divide it, share it. It, It's a communal, it's a table moment. And then verse 19, he took the bread, he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. It represents what I'm about to do for you. It represents that I'm about to, to, to give my physical body up for you. Do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of what? I have done, but also in remembrance of what I'm about to do. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant. He said, I'm setting up a new covenant. I'm setting up a new promise. I'm setting up a new agreement. I'm setting up a new way. And he says, it's going to be what? A new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
Like I said, Jesus has been setting the stage for this meal by using a hundred other meals that he has hosted, displaying value around the table. And the way that we know this is look who sits at the table with Jesus. You guys realize at this moment, the guy who would betray him sat at the table and Jesus still, what, allowed him to sit at the table. If you rewind back all through Luke, Jesus is found at the table of both saints and sinners. Jesus had become notorious for eating with questionable people. And all of this was pointing to a moment where he would fulfill something that would say, Passover lamb will go away, but the Passover lamb will cover everyone for every time of all time. Guess what? Everyone is welcome. And it is pointing to a larger purpose for their lives through him. Now, fast forward. We continue to see this all throughout the early days of the church. All throughout Acts, which is just this chronicle of the early church and how it launched and what it was about and who it was that it began to scoop in and who it was that it extended this newfound grace and peace and hope and salvation through Jesus. It began to extend all throughout all people, all countrysides, all nations, and we see it. Jesus is gone. We've experienced the cross. We've experienced the Easter moment of resurrection. But guess what remains? This meal remains. So if you begin to look, the church has launched. It's forever changing the world. And then we get into Acts chapter 2. The church is new. It's just birth. And they immediately go into something. They immediately go to the table. And so here's the way this plays out. It says they, talking about the church, these new believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread. Now what you need to know in context there, he's talking about communion. He's talking about that, you know what, we are going to break the bread that Jesus said to break in order to do this in remembrance of him, remember? And prayer. And then he goes on to say that everyone was filled with awe and wonder at the signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property, possessions, and they gave it to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple and courts. They broke bread, which is a different breaking of bread. Now they're sharing common meals. They're sharing life. In their homes, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here's what's going on. They are sharing this meal. They're sharing other meals. They're sharing their stuff. They're sharing stories. They're sharing the good, the bad. They are sharing life. They're experiencing social life together. They're experiencing relational life. They're experiencing intimate life. They're experiencing spiritual life. And it is shaping and have a, having a great impact on not just them, but their community, all people. So here's the deal. What Jesus offered and what Jesus extended at the table, he continues to offer to us now. And you go, well, what is that? What is that? What's he offering me at these tables? Before we get there, I just want to make one key observation around these tables. We got to keep in mind that when we come to this table, we don't take anything. We receive. 
we find the hope and grace and peace and forgiveness and mercy and joy and salvation. We find it there because Jesus has intentionally placed it there and then he distributes it for us to receive. See, we receive from the host and I'm not the host. Our wellhouse shepherds are not the host. Jesus is the host. And so when we come to these tables, we find and receive. So let me give you a couple practical things, and then we're going to share this meal together this morning. I think when we come to the table, we find and receive, same signs as last week, new identity. It's in this moment that we find the continual washing, the continual cleansing, It's in this moment that we are reminded of the continual washing of the sacrificial blood of the Lamb, that we are forever clean, that our identity is forever shaped by Jesus. It's in this moment that we come face to face with who He is, but we also come face to face with who I was and who I am. It's this moment that I am reminded of who I was, but I wasn't left there. Because of who he is. That I have been made new. It's in this moment I remember my former condition. I remember separation. I remember being lost. I remember my former way of life. But I'm also remembering. I'm also reaccounting. I'm also grateful and celebrating what? Finding joy. It's in this moment when I take this this bread and this cup that I remember who he is. And I remember who I was. But I remember who I am. That I have found hope, I have found joy, I have found peace, I have found comfort. Knowing that I'm no longer in that condition. That I have been shaped by the cross, I have been shaped by the, the broken body and blood of Jesus. It's in this moment that I realize that, you know what, I have been given a new identity, that I have, I'm no longer who I used to be, that I have been given new creation, I have been made something new, that, you know what, no longer do I experience separation. No longer do I experience isolation. I don't have to experience fear that goes with all those things. I have been made new that my identity has become his identity. And so now I'm living in the context of who he is. And I don't have to worry about who I was. I can step into who I am. And it's by his sacrifice that is represented at the middle of this table that I am made new. I am restored. I experience wholeness, not just in one time moment, but constantly and continually. That there is something healing that stays at the middle of this table. And Jesus knew that we would need a constant reminder because the world's rough and the world breaks us down. and The world reminds us of who we was and it wants to drag us back into that place where we continue to live in that old identity. And Jesus says, let me establish something so that when you get together, you'll remember what I have done. You'll remember who I am. But more importantly, you will remember who it is that I have created you to be. Peter, one of the disciples that set up this Passover, he writes later in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 as he's writing some encouragements to some people. Look what he says. It says, he himself, talking about Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to our sins and live righteousness so that we can have new identity. And then he goes on to say that by his wounds, by his brokenness, by his blood, we have been healed. You've been made new. 
And you are reminded. And he goes on to say this. He says, you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned. And I would tell you that you didn't return on your own. Jesus found you and returned you. And he says, you have been returned to the great shepherd, the overseer of your soul. So that's why Paul says what he does in 1 Corinthians. He says, listen, as often as you get together, when you get together, when you do this, when you participate in this moment as a result of participating in life together, when people come together, when you experience this moment here, he says in, in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, here's what you're doing. You are proclaiming the Lord's death. You go, well, that's kind of drab. No, not if you understand what was found in the Lord's death because we understand what came after the death and that's resurrection. He says, in this moment, here's what's happening. You are proclaiming his provision for you. You are proclaiming his rescue. So he says, when you get together and you remember this rescue, you remember this moment, he says, do it in a way where you examine or you remember what he's done for you and who he has created you to be. So every time I return to this table, whether it's in this place or somewhere else. And by the way, this table is universal. This table is flexible. This table is mobile. This table doesn't have to happen on a Sunday morning. This table doesn't have to happen in a church building. This table doesn't have to exist in this place. This table can exist anywhere. So I just encourage you in these moments that you live life and life is really crushing in or you've got a moment where you need to celebrate. You've got a moment where you're dealing with something good or you're dealing with something bad. Set up the table. Because when I come back to this table, when I remember this table, here's what I'm reminded of, that I am no longer broken because it's because of what's on the table that I have been healed. I'm no longer lost. I'm no longer isolated. I'm no longer my old self. I have been made new, and I have been given identity. We also find and receive a sense of belonging. So you begin to link these things together. At baptism, we find these things, but... We find this every week. We find this every couple days. We find this any time that we return to the table. See, at my grandma's place, everyone had a table, even all of Amanda, who was one of my younger cousins, even all her boyfriends, and she had a lot. It was like every Thanksgiving. We had, some days we get two boyfriends on one day. I'm just lying. If she ever listens to this, I'm just messing with you, Amanda. <clears throat> But Amanda's boyfriends, while they changed every year during her teenage years, they weren't family, but they were seeking to possibly become family. But in that moment, on that day, you know what? They were treated like family. They were made to have a sense of belonging in that house on that day around those tables. And if you go back to Acts where all these early believers are gathering to participate, here's what we see. It goes beyond the table and it begins to seep into life. This table is one of the starting places for individuals to experience interactive communion with one another. Interactive life with one another. Now we're not talking about re rebellion people. We're not talking about defiant people. Those are against God. But those who were seeking or those who had already sought and found, it was a starting place for them to find their place. And I want you to listen to this next part. That these tables, and the reason that we want to do these every week, is that it's in this moment there's a showcase. That this table is a moment that showcases ultimate inclusivity. That this table 
transcends all cultural, ethnic, racial, and gender boundaries. We don't sit or stand around these tables because we drug ourselves to them. We sit and we stand around these tables as invited guests. Therefore, we don't get to choose who sits and stands around them with us. Jesus does. He chooses that. He chose that. And it's in this moment that I come around this. And it's why we say every week that everyone is welcome around these tables. It is not my job as a pastor to determine whether you deserve to stand at the table. It's not my job to pry through your life and figure out whether you're worthy this week to stand at the table. I don't need to know what you did last night in order for you to come to the table. I'm not the one inviting you to the table. Oh, I extend the invitation. But the invitation was set on the cross. And Jesus has invited. And so that's why every week we tell you, we tell your guest that you've brought or the guest that you would like to bring that guess what? You have a reserved seat at our table. Jesus' table. And that this is a place of fellowship. It's for us to share life together, good and bad. There'll be people today that will gather around this table with you and you'll look across and there'll be some people that are celebrating milestones, celebrating students that they paid a lot of money for to graduate college, to simply move back home. <laughs> there'll be people that will have gotten some pretty bad results on a test this week. And guess what? That result is going to mean more tests to come. There'll be some people that won't know how they're going to pay their electric bill in the morning. And there'll be some people that are celebrating because they've just gotten a return that has allowed them some freedom and flexibility to travel or do something special. It's life. So in these moments, good and bad, in these moments of celebration and struggle, we share in this moment. And this is why we do it the way that we do it. Guys, this is never meant to be an exclusive it's never meant to be private, and hear this. And I don't know what backgrounds everybody comes from, so I don't want to offend or step on toes, but I'm just calling it as I see it in Scripture. It was never meant to be this solemn, silent moment where we spend three minutes of awkwardness beating ourselves up. Can I just ask you, where do you sit around a table where silence is the norm or expected behavior? This last week, we went out to M.L. Rose with uh, the Morrises, and I love M.L. Rose. And it was loud. There were times that we had to kind of lean into the table and, and, and so that we could hear each other, and then there was probably times the table next to us had to lean in because our table was loud. And we laughed. We shared some struggle. We shared some good things. We, we dreamed. We, we, we told stories. We shared in life. And those tables were loud because you know what? That's what happens when friends and family get together. I feel welcome. I feel like I belong. And as a result, I feel value. I feel comfortable. I can share, laugh, cry. I can let loose. And so let me ask you, why are these tables different? See, I think that when we turn it into this quiet, solemn, private event, I think we undermine the nature of the table. This isn't a meal for one. It's a meal of community, and if you begin to unfold this thing in places like Acts 2, Acts 4, even look at Luke 22, 
They were reclined at the table, enjoying the company with one another. See, we belong here. We get to engage here. And it is built around the grace that is found at the table by the host of the table. And so guess what? Sometimes it's going to get loud and sometimes it's going to get messy. And sometimes we're going to laugh and sometimes we're going to cry. But the most important thing is, is that you have a seat there and it's not at a table for one. Shoved off in the corner of the diner. It's a table that represents the community of people that God has put around you for just those moments. And so in this, we find a place and a sense of belonging. And then we find and receive our daily purpose. Just like in baptism, how we step into mission, we step into purpose, we step into his calling. It's a reminder each week that I have a mission, that I have a purpose. I don't know about you, but I have to set reminders for everything. Anybody else like this? I got invited to dinner tonight, and I had to go in here immediately and set a reminder. Because here's what happens if I don't. And I usually set two reminders. I set one for time of, of, well, time of event, which is too late at that point. But I set one for about 30 minutes before, and I set one for about two hours before. Depending on what it is, sometimes I set one for a week before. I have to set reminders in order for me to accomplish what I need to. And here's why. If not, I will get busy doing my stuff and likely forget about that I have other stuff to do that involves other people. So I set reminders in order to honor the commitment in life that I have committed to involving other people. I lose focus really quickly, so I need a reminder. So following that, here's what happens. Every time I gather around this, whether that's in your house group, whether that's with your family, whether it's at a wedding, whether it's on a Sunday morning, guess what? It's a reminder. It's a reminder that I am not only here for me. That there is a much larger role, a mission, and a purpose at play involving me. And let me take it one step farther. If I find and receive hope, and grace, and mercy, and forgiveness, if I find my identity and I find a sense of belonging around that table, then why in the world would I leave the table? And not go and extend that to other people who don't know the table. you got to live on purpose. And so when I come around this table and I celebrate these things, I exit the table seeking to find someone else who's not at the table to celebrate with me at the table one day. So I'm going to live life on point. I'm going to live life in this place where I'm at ready to extend it to others. I'm going to go and I'm going to tell the good news of the table. Or better yet, I'm going to showcase in the way that I live the good news of the table. See, the table is not just transformational. The table is missional. And if you go back, it really wraps all the tables in one. Well, it's a covenant table, but it's a sacrificial table. It's a restoring, a renewing table that is meant to lead us into a table of thanksgiving and celebration. And it is a missional table that is a reminder that I'm to go and live on point. So here's what the table results in. The table should result in full confidence and wild generosity. If you look in Acts, it was a reminder to live confidently in who you are. Forgiven, saved, welcomed, and belonging. 
But as a result of that table, they sold their stuff, they gave to people, they made sure no one else around the table or potentially that would come around the table had anything. And so it resulted in generosity. It says, I have found what I'm looking for. But I am also aware that there are others still looking. And it becomes my mission to share those things and anything else I have in my possession to be wildly generous in order to showcase the grace and mercy at the table. So I want to end today with doing something a little different than we normally do. Hopefully that has given you some context why we do this weekly, but also why we do this with no expectation other than to chase and allow yourself to be chased after the heart of God. But we don't have any qualifiers. This is not for our members. It's not for our partners. This is for everyone. That's why we extend it the way we do. So here's what I want to do. I want you to stand with me. Normally, this is the way we do it if this is your first time here. We kind of dismiss you to the tables, and if you want to partake, you can. And we tell you to circle up and pray with friends or share life or share a moment with, with friends or family or someone who's sitting around you. But I wanted you to do something just a little bit different today. I want to take this together. So I'm going to dismiss you to go and get those two elements. Grab you a piece of bread and grab you a cup. But I want you to either hold it and return to your seat or kind of hold it where you're at. I think probably logistically some of you are going to have to return to your seat. But just hold those things. Can we do that? And then I'm going to, I'm going to ask a couple of questions. I'm going to pray for us as Jesus did. And then I want us to share this as a community together because we can't all get around one big table. But we can extend the table in this room. So go ahead. Move at this time. There's tables all over the room. Grab those two things. These guys are going to play. When you hear my voice, come back and we're going to, to share this moment together.